0: Welcome to Driving the Trains with Steve McKay. Hey folks, Steve McKay here. So it's Saturday morning, I think the last day in January, the first day in February, something like that. And i um, been uh, out running some errands, but I'm about to head off to uh, my buddy's place. We're going to do a little 1844 this morning and uh got a couple extra minutes, so I thought I'd uh put some thoughts down so first of all uh my last podcast I made a comment that in reflection um might have been a little gender biased um and, oh, it wasn't intended to be that way, so I thought I'd just uh, clear that up um i was uh I was bemoaning the uh the lack of aggressive play um. From the uh train shuffling guys on tokening in uh, eighteen twenty four and I said you know something about uh you know you're not playing with your wives or your sister, you're playing with uh your buddies, and you know you gotta stab them in the back once in a while uh a kind of a reflection on that is kind of like a used you know uh female stereotypes um my real comment is you know i mean there are people that we we love and we have in our lives that we know just aren't going to uh take well to uh aggressive um attacks uh in a game and um those people shouldn't play 18xx games (laughs) um that's part of the game and uh yeah so so anyway I wasn't uh, trying to be negative I, I do I think buddies may be gender neutral i i use it in a gender neutral way but maybe it's not that way for everybody but uh anyway so um it has nothing to do with the gender of the people you're playing with there yeah they're not a lot of female 18xx players but i think i think our community is worse off because of that not not better off um i would like to see much more diversity in our community um and i would love to see um you times the number of players that we have too. So, you know, um, I don't care. Um, they what gender, what, whatever they are. I, I just want more of us. Um, and that kind of gets me, Oh, I have one more, um, sort of, uh, in the housekeeping phase here. I got a really nice email from, uh, Dave Barry, the creator of 18 GB he he made a comment i should probably just read it the but the, you know he was he, he was like you know it's too bad i didn't enjoy 18 gb and that's that's actually not true um actually i i really do enjoy 18 gb i, I only have a couple of plays in it um and so i just want to make sure that the, the comment that i was making was that uh craig um from the train rush uh just commented that you know he doesn't enjoy the game because it doesn't like watching other people struggle with the track lays. Um, and I was talking about this in context with some games that I felt had like non-interactive track lays, um, 18 GB actually has extremely interactive track lays. Um, but, but, but Craig's, comment that um you know he watches other players struggle to lay track and that that detracts from his enjoyment of the game um isn't so much a reflection on you know is it interactive track is the track affecting other players it's more just a because the track is non-standard it takes longer to learn it and um and so the game kind of bogs down and which is which is my challenge with 18 GB is I think I really would like this game. I'd like difficult track. I like the spatial puzzles. Um, but the problem is, is it's not a or at least when you're learning it, it's not an evening game for me. Um, you know, we play from six to 11, uh, and that's at 11, a hard stop because we're in a public place. And so if we can't play a game in five hours, it turns into a weekend game, which means it then has to contend with, um, my group's sort of, Pensions for only playing a few titles on weekends. Um, you know, I would say we play more than 50%, more than 60%, uh, 18, 17 on weekends um, because we cannot play that on a weeknight. And, and so 18 GB because we can't finish it on a weeknight falls into this competitive category of, you know, we play probably play three weekend games a month and, Fully half of those are eighteen seventeen, and so I just don't get eighteen GB to the table. Um, and uh, I'm someone who loves variety, and my my uh, my crew of gamer friends, um, eighteen XX friends, um, isn't as interested in variety. They're more interested in is it a really great game, and if it's not a really great game, I'm not going to spend my time on it. Whereas. I'm I'm like I don't care if it's not a great game it's something different and something not the same and so I I I wish we would play the play more different games but but um I'm still happy that we play so often and I get so many games in even if if there's a few too many 1817 games for my my taste um but backdated you know 18GB it's just because it falls into that weekend only category and uh it just means haven't gotten it to the table on a weekend. Um, and so, so I wish I could play it more. I wish I could, I could, uh, see the end game. Um, and, uh, maybe I'll convince my buddies that we need to do that sometime soon. So anyway, Dave, thanks for the email. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't hope you didn't think I, I was, um, being too harsh on the game. Like I said, it's just, uh, I thought Craig, Craig's comment was insightful and, uh, because I didn't know why we didn't play continue to play that game, but I think he'd put the nail in the head. It just takes a little longer than, uh, and probably once we're f- totally familiar with it, it would be a weeknight naked game. All right. So my thoughts today are a little bit on, um, the types of players that, um, that I play with and the sort of level of sportsmanship and competitiveness the reason i'm i'm coming at this is is because of that um that podcast and mentioning that they made an agreement not to token out and i got the opportunity in chattanooga to play with a large number of people that i've never played games with before and um I don't know if I'll ever play games with them again. I mean, you know, they they may not go to the convention. I may not go to the convention. Uh, We may may not align on games. Who knows? Um, But one of the reasons I, I, I love going to the convention so much is because there is groupthink in these games. You do get into a community where everybody thinks alike because they watch each other play the game. And that's the only way they've seen it played. And so you know, unconventional strategies or strange openings or who knows what not. Um, you just don't, you know, get to see it. And so if you go to the conventions, you get to play with players who, you know, learn to play the game in a different uh universe and, and they may have completely different uh reads. I, I was playing a game with, um you know, 24 and one of the players, um, um, really loves the blue company it's like it pays out really great and i was like i hate the blue company (laughs) you know and and so um now we we chose to do it was a four-player game and and him and i both were the more experienced players and we chose to try things we'd never done before and we got our asses handed to us because of it but um But anyway, um, you know, so back to back to the the sort of sportsmanship and competitiveness, you know, these are and I advocate, you know, you should play the game uh, kind of ruthlessly. You should play the game to win. Um, But one of the as we were playing that 24 game, one of the players was kind of like we knew we weren't going to win. And so he was trying to convince me that we should um, we should. Sort of play chaotically, like, you know, mix, mix the game state up, change the game state so there was a chance we could finish better. Um, And in my play group, um, we don't do a lot of table talk and we don't do a lot of convincing of other players. Like if two players are better off because they collaborate and do something We don't talk about it like, you know, you might like maybe there's a series of track lays where you're hoping the other player will join you and it'll be like, you know. Someone will put a tile down and someone else will go, well, that was a friendly track lay, you know, and then, you know, you're hoping that the person you're trying to collaborate picks up on the fact that, yeah, look, if you, you know, I laid this thing and you lay that thing and look, we're both better off. Yay, you know, Um, but it's not like we don't we don't do the negotiated things like, you know. Um in 1817, you know, um you got the Pittsburgh player and the Charleston player, and it's like, well, are you gonna lay towards me? Because if so, I'll point towards you. It's like we don't do that. And I I think I I really appreciate that fact. I, I I get the fact that you know two players working together at certain stages of the game are gonna be better off for it. Um, but I, I think it just, um, it's poor sportsmanship if you have to negotiate it out loud, you know, if you cannot negotiate it through the game state, through your play and have the player pick up, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that you shouldn't do it. And so. Uh, there was a lot more of that sort of play at um, at uh, Chattanooga than I was used to, um, and um, I don't want to say it's wrong. I just it's wrong for me. Like I, I have, I, I don't, uh, I would not be able to play in that kind of group on a regular basis um, because I think there's certain people who. Are more prone to suggestion. And so I, what I typically see is I typically see a strong player, um, convince a weaker player to, um, collude. And it just means that that stronger player is more likely to win the weaker player, um, you know, they may finish one place ahead of where they would normally finish. Um, but you know, it's just, I, I, yeah, it's like, if you're a weaker player, um, and you're colluding with a strong player, you have to, you have to have known like this guy's better than me. I've played games with him before. I've never beaten him and he's asking to get into a partnership. Well, that just means that he wants me to help him win. Um, and I don't know why anybody would do that. Um, you know, I've, I've played uh 18, 17 games where, you know, that, that, that whole Pittsburgh Charleston collusion thing, um, goes on. And I gotta be honest, if I was in that situation and the, you know, the Pittsburgh player, or the Charleston player is like, are you going to lay towards me? I'd be like, sure. Why not? But then I wouldn't, <laughs> you know, it's like, let me teach you a lesson in the fact that, um, I, I, I could, I don't have to, um, follow up on my agreement. And then that person will be really angry. And it's like, why? Well, that's not in the rules that we should collude together and that we should talk together and that we have to uphold those agreements. So, um, you know, uh, that, and that, that would be kind of a, you know, jerky of me, but still, I, I just really appreciate the fact that, that my group doesn't do it. But, and then going back to the whole, like, two players causing chaos. Um, my, my group has a pretty strong, belief that it's fine to cause chaos as an individual to improve your finishing point in the game. We all pretty much agree that you play the game to finish as best as you can. And I have played, you know, 10 hour games where you know, less than 90 minutes in, I know there's no way I can win that game. Like the only way I can win that game is if the leaders, the the four people of five, you know, um, that are playing with me are who are ahead of me all screw up and it's just, they're too good a players. They're not going to do it. Right. So, you know, but I, I, I started the game. I I don't want to get up and leave the table because it it would mean that they'd have to restart or whatever. And it's like, and I'm still going to learn something. I'm still, you know, even even though I, I know that I'm not, you know, in the running to win it, you know, I can still improve my play and still learn something from the table. And so, you know, I'll, I'll play out the next eight and a half hours to, uh, to, uh, so that, you know, my buddies have a good game and, and, and I learn something and, you know, we go on, but you know, what I'm not going to do and what our group does not do is cause chaos that might, um, lead to a change in who's going to win the game, um, you are not in my group. You are not going to win a game because someone is losing and they just start, you know, pissing all over the board. And, um, change, uh, the game state that much. We're definitely going to, you know, we're definitely going to token you out. Like if you're the leader and you know, we can improve our runs and we're going to token you out. Great. Um, you know, and, and you got to work around that. So, I mean, they, you know, leaders still have to work to win. Um, but the leaders do not have to worry about, you know, the fifth and sixth place players, um, colluding to make the second player, second place player win. Um, If that second place player wants to win they and you know we're not going to collude with them either to change their their game state. And and to me, um that's super important um to to the you know to playing in in a long in long term play group. You know, if I go to a convention and a couple of people do that at the table, I'll be like, okay, fine, you know, remember that. Um, maybe don't play a game with them next time or if you play a game with them next time, play it the way they play it and collude with other people. Um, you know, but But, um, you know, that's not like, that's not going to be people who are, you know, going to be playing with me every weekend, you know, um, And, uh, yeah. So, you know, these games, they can be really nasty, but at least in our group, I know you never feel ganged up on only the only person who feels ganged up on is sometimes the leader when they're running away with it. And everybody is just, you know, doing what they can to knock them down. But again, they're not talking about it. They're not like, oh, you do this thing and I'll do this thing and boy, we'll really get him, you know, or her. Um, it's, you know, it's like, I did this thing and I notice you did that thing. And like, oh, okay, I can build off that. And we might be able to knock this guy down. Um and and one of the two of us will actually win. But but there's never the oh yeah players number five and six are beating up on number one and that way player number two will win it's like no player number two has got to engineer that win um so anyway um you know that's that's a pretty important um aspect of our our line i think it's one of the reasons why we we continue to play these games that are just non-friendly is that we do it in a what I consider an an honorable way. So hopefully, um, you know, if you, uh, come to play games in the Bay area and you come to play with our crew, um, just understand that that's, that's kind of our etiquette. Um, and, uh, you know, um, we'd love, we'd love to have more players on Wednesday nights. Um, but, uh, you know, just understand that's, that's kind of how we choose to play the game. So we're playing, uh, 1844 today, um, which I only have about four or five plays in maybe not even five. Maybe it's just four. One of my favorite games, um, for a long game, if you love the engineering, the track building, the combination of privates and whatnot, um, I just, uh, I think it's a great game, um, we're playing with a slightly different crew today. Um, a couple of guys who can't make it to the Wednesday nights. Um, and, um, one of the guys who lives down in the South Bay, um, who, uh, yeah, I can't make the 40 mile drive or whatever on a weeknight, um, to Wednesdays. So, um, a little bit different player dynamics, which is good. Um, I, I don't, like to play the, I mean, I I like all the guys I play games with, but, but, uh, it's always nice to mix it up a little bit. I am also, uh, going to, um, do a quick interview with, uh, one of the players, um, of the 44 game today, um, before we play, he was at, uh, Chattanooga. I'm not sure how he's going to introduce himself on the podcast, so we'll leave it a mystery for now. Um, but, uh. Have a great weekend. Happy train gaming. We'll talk to you later. Our eastern states are dandy, so the people always say. From New York to St. Louis and Chicago, by the way. From the hills of Minnesota, where the rippling waters fall. No changes can be taken on that war based cannonball. Hey, folks, as promised. I'm here with one of my other uh, XX buddies who was at um, Chattanooga. And Talbot, welcome. Thanks for taking the time. Um, Thanks for having me on your show
1: after getting to follow up after, like, Mark and John Tamplin. I mean,
0: you're now scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) Hardly, hardly. Um, So let's see. First, we're going to go a little bit of Talbot's background. So Talbot and I... Or I played my first ever 18xx game at uh, with Talbot uh, at a con that he was running uh, in, in February um, a couple years ago. And my first game was 18 Ireland. And uh, Mr. Talbot um, schooled us a little... I did, who won that game? Do you remember who won that game? It was wasn't two it, years ago. I don't remember. Wasn't it like... Uh, I don't think I won. I think I was in the running, but yeah. uh, I think it might have been Jeff. Yeah, Talbot's always in the running um, <laughs> whenever we play. There's many games I've played where Talbot's like last at about a third of the way through the game, and then he pulls it out. So he's a pretty accomplished player. Um, how long have you been playing 18xx? So I
1: went back and checked, um, and my first game was actually back in 2016. In June, I remember um, it was a four-player 1830 that I had played with. Or basically, I I played with like Toby and Ambi, um, Ambi from Board Game Blitz. And so you, maybe people have seen this, listened to her, her podcast.
0: Well, she's on. Her, uh, she's now on Dice Tower too, right? Oh uh, yeah, she's done Dice Tower?
1: For, She's done some du- stuff for Dice Tower as well.
0: Yeah,
1: but anyways, her husband Toby is just. Calls me one day and he's like, we're going to play 1830. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. What does that even mean? He's like, I'm going to send you the rules. You're going to learn the rules. We're going to play on Friday. End of story, whatever. No choices. Okay, great. So yeah, I I read through the rules and learn. We play this like, it was like a five and a half hour, six hour, 1830. We don't know what we're doing. Um, Not pushing things very well, but we kind of saw what, could happen in the system and so from there we it's like you know reading forum posts and stuff and started playing more and more that we all started getting into like 18xx games more and that was back in june of 2016 so it's not even been four years for me okay myself yeah
0: which is still more than twice as long as i've been playing it (laughs) but uh we have the advantage we get to play a lot of games so um yeah so how about how many total like 18 x games have you played um
1: i probably have played at like somewhere between 40 to 15 different 18xx games um i recall that i like i don't really keep logs per se but i think i'm around i have a, probably around 25 different 18xx i've at least played drives. a few times yeah
0: so and so I'm... how many total plays the four years three or four hundred oh, games goodness. Uh,
1: probably not three or four. Well, that'd be nice. Maybe I'm not even sure. I mean, it's definitely in the hundreds. Yeah, like two hundred, three hundred sounds more reasonable. But yeah. maybe, maybe I'm over three hundred now. I don't. I don't even know.
0: All
1: right, it's not really something I'm worried about. And your favorite uh, title? Um, I have to say it's 1830. Um, yeah, you're a big thirty advocate. It's well, it's kind of it's interesting because it's just so bare bones, and there's once you start understanding how to play you can different styles of play work in the game yeah like you can totally like okay how do I run well and safe and just have good companies and have good things and how do I just push to the right of the stock market you can totally play that way and that can work and you can totally win that way Um, and then there's also the weasel like okay well let me have a company in the yellow and kind of scrape a bunch of cheap shares and build up like a, this massive portfolio that then I then I can time to break out just at the right time to get the right trains so that I can go ahead into victory and just have more shares paying and people can't do it do anything about it and that's also like a valid strategy so there's a wide gamut of interaction there that is very explosive and interesting and I feel that another thing I've noticed is with 1830 it feels like a lot of the better like players um they're they all seem to be very proficient at eighteen thirty. They've just had a lot of plays and in a way, since it's so bare bones, to me, it's kind of like the foundation of like how you want to play the game and the better you get at that game, the that's probably the one game I feel like translates best in terms of like the fundamental gameplay that you learn translates best to like other games.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely agree that that if you can play eighteen thirty well, you can really play almost any one of these games well. Yeah, know, unless it's something that's way off kilter, like maybe it doesn't help you much in hard spot. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> sure. So uh those of you that have never seen uh me play or never seen Talbot play, I uh you know Talbot kind of alluded to that if you just wanna, you know, play safely and move your company all the way up the stock market. Um, And just that's me. I like to build a good company and just run the company and appreciate on the stock market. And and we're awesome. Um, Talbot does not play that way, (laughs) at least not regularly. Um, If Talbot can buy another train, Talbot will buy another train. Um, And I think it was you were the first person I ever heard say, sometimes you're playing the player, not the game. Um, Talbot definitely plays me very well. Um, he's he's very adept. He was like – he he knows my track lays. I think we played a game of Ireland once, and he was like, yeah, McKay is going to build down here. I don't even need to take care of it because his company will benefit a little bit, and he loves to lay track. And I could just wait for him to do that, <laughs> and then I think he merged with my company and screwed me. But, you know, um, so, so talk a little bit about, like, your thinking – you know how you like the beginning of the game what you're trying to do um you know and I'm not talking a specific title just like generic like when you're evaluating stuff like what what exactly you know do you evaluate how do you how do you sort of build that puzzle um with such an aggressive i mean i i call it like slashing style it's like it's just like you're just cutting constantly whacking away at at uh, the game state so
1: yeah i think I guess there is always just because I'm just I feel like I'm more I'm not necessarily the most upfront cerebral cerebral player. So my especially like approaching a new game that I'm not familiar with. um, I'm not necessarily invested in doing kind of all of the running all the numbers that I probably should in -hmm. terms of getting like a baseline of of making at least some sort of theory about like how the money is going to be spent, where the money is going to be going and what's going to happen. Um, for me, it's, it's getting, it's almost like there's this innate thing in me that I want to be able to get through the game faster as the first play. So there's a little bit of just this, is, and this is just more my instinct is that, okay, well, um, I'm playing a new game I don't know what's going on how do I push these tra- how do I push the game state along how do I push to new phases and yeah maybe that might cause me some harm but I also know that everybody has to deal with the fact that trains are going to go away if I buy more trains and so there's definitely a suicide pack I set on myself, especially playing newer games that I tend to Tend to stick myself with of let's just keep pushing these trains how do i invest all this capital as quickly as possible how do i get capital up and running as cheap as possible as quick as possible to buy more trains and buy more things and just get things tumbling down the road and just seeing how the game reacts to that seeing how the players react to that um after i get more plays though then i can figure out um you know well obviously there's the players that you have to understand like what their motivations, what their incentives are going to try to be, which sometimes you get right, sometimes you get wrong. Um, but there's also, but then there's also just figuring out what, cause from there, after I, you know, play a game like once or twice and you get, get the idea of how the game is going to flow, like what, what's, what's good early, what, you know, what builds up later, trying to define. Like, what are those edges and what do the players actually want to do in the game from like previous plays, if you've played with them before or just in general from your experience, what's going to be good? Mm -hmm. Because I think there's also been I mean, there's definitely been games. I think I remember one of my first wins when I was playing with like Ambient Toby um was i played this game of 1880 and for me that was like one of the most boring games i played because i actually ran a good company and i actually (laughs) ran in the corner and built out this great route and there was not a lot of and honestly none of us are i wouldn't consider myself very good at 80 at all but just the timing of the trains and how 80
0: (laughs) Uh, there probably is, but it's definitely not me. I don't know anybody who's good at 80. We all love I mean, I love 80, but it, it's definitely one of those games that's on the, on the edge
1: of weirdness. Well, it's just funny that it's just like, I had one of my most boring games is the game I won. And it just felt like all I did was build track and the trains kind of came to me. The trains I wanted came to me at the right time. So whatever, like I just run away with it. That's cool. But it's more exciting for me to also just to find the edges. Like, oh look at all these people they're just floating companies and selling down like like the one game in 1830 that I that was probably one, one of my more enjoyable titles where I think what everybody sold their privates after the first OR so in the second or either at the end of the first OR OR the beginning of the second OR sold down everything and so I'm just buying cheap shares and then before you know it man I have all these cheap shares oh I own like three companies and then nobody else kind of had companies that were really running for a round or two. And I'm just collecting a bunch of cheap shares and a bunch of cheap portfolio. And yeah, I'm going to have to deal with the fact that the trains are going to rest out or whatnot. But I'm getting back liquidity that then I can invest to try to save that in some way or, you know, play with yeah. or do something with. Yeah. And so I, th- that's, that's also another part of the game I enjoy is like, what can I do with scraps and how do I make like unwanted scraps work for me at a, at a, at a value price. Cause you can, a lot of times like, um, it's too easy to, or it's just easy instinctually for some players to just be like, well, this company's out of money. I'm going to like toss, toss it so that I can start this other company and like, whatever, like, I, I like, I know this company is going to die soon. And sometimes if you can just tweak how that, how the game state is or, well, sometimes it's stagnated or sometimes it's push it along in a different direction. You kind of get like that extra round where it's like, oh, these six shares that I bought for like, you know, like 30 or 40 bucks because they got everybody dumped it. They paid out. And I guess I might as well pay out because I have six of them. And the other four are in the bank pool, like in an 1830 and yeah. a, a case. And now the train has a little bit more money and yeah, needs to struggle. But then, oh, but I have all this money. Maybe I'll start in another company. Like, yeah, cause I remember that was the one game where. My regret was I could have had four companies, I think.
0: <laughs> In an 1830 game. That's, yeah. That's a good percentage And if of you can do that, then
1: you can do stuff like, oh, I don't feel like the threes should rust. I think I'm just going to, like, <laughs> run—I'm just going to, like— The threes are permanent, folks. We're never getting
0: out of the Steam era. Yeah, yeah something
1: like that. Or the fours. I think it's harder to get the th- Well, I think there's enough, well, even with three companies. If you
0: control the game, that with four companies, you can control the game so six
1: never comes out. But the way you do that is you have to disconnect yourself from how is this individual company is more than what can I control and how do I control it and where can I put my liquidity to to give me the most control efficiency. And I find the interplay of that between people pretty fascinating in yeah. the games, just because even just like going from ten to twenty percent or even just people figuring out, oh well he has twenty percent, that's fine. I still have sixty percent, but then they buy thirty percent. Now it's like, oh he's getting half of what I get. Ah and that like freaks some people out and it's interesting to figure out where people's lines stand yeah individually on that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think I think there you have it folks. Um when when there's a sharp knife in the room I'm going to approach it cautiously and and make sure it doesn't cut me. <laughs> Talbot's going to pick it up and run around and see what it cuts. So um, very different styles of play. Um, but I'm just happy I get to play games with Talbot because I get to see things that I would never try. And then maybe, you know, someday I'll try those things. Who knows? Um, so, all right. Um I think I'm going to – let's talk about Chattanooga a little bit because mm-hmm. you were Chattanooga. Yep. Um, let's just do – I'm thinking I'm going to change up our, our – We I actually have a, an outline, folks. I know it's against my better nature. But I think I'm going to change <laughs> things up a little bit. We're going to do a little sure. Chattanooga. But then Talbot's played a lot of 28, and I know there's a lot of buzz around 28. Um, surprisingly, JC is actually producing the game. He'd always threatened that it was always going to be a print and play and you're going to have to make it yourself. Um, but he's, I think he's um, recognizing that the game's good enough and people would um, – Pay a good sum of money for what it costs him to produce it. So um, I think we'll skip there. But first, let's talk Chattanooga a little bit. Um, so is this your first trip to Chattanooga? No, this is my fourth trip to ah, Chattanooga. Fourth trip to Chattanooga. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and how how did it compare? Did you uh, do you have a good uh, series of games and things? Yeah, I think overall, we played one game together. We only played mechs together. Yeah, we only played night, Mexico. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was that was my probably my most successful game.
0: It was my favorite convention. game because there were five of us playing Mech's, and Mark Derrick wanders over and goes, "Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend five <laughs> Mech's for five players." And we're all like, "Well, now you tell us." <laughs> Worked out fine for me, so I have no complaints. But yeah, did you, you did win that one, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I kind of was in the correct position because the person to my right was a bit green, and oh I, yeah, the the biggest thing was that. He had an opportunity to merge his company into the national and did not. And that just destroyed him where I happily dumped my dumpster fire of a company. And now I have, I think even with the liability, I was in a okay position and maybe I come out good (laughs) enough. But that was just like, okay, now I just like basically automatically win. Yeah. and there's like no doubt that I'm gonna. That's win right. at I was this like point. a
0: close second or something. Like yeah, you were you
1: were running pretty well too. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say because I feel like the end game tends to be pretty swingy because of the 4ds. Yeah. So depending on how the 4ds shake out, yeah, you could have like a healthy portfolio, but if your company is only running like fives and sixes, and then you don't have enough 4d shares, yeah, because those 4ds basically run double what like a five or six does. It feels like, yeah.
0: Well, wow, um, enough about Mechs. Anyway, what was the what was the most interesting game um that you played at the uh at Chattanooga? So it was well, I played forty well forty one.
1: Uh, I had two games of forty one. But the one that I re- can best remember because the problem is at Chattanooga I play most of these games without enough sleep. So I just make really, really, really bad decisions. I, I got a good four hours every night, you know? It was it was pretty restful. Uh, maybe not for me, but, um, yeah, it was, um, well, it'll be hard to understand, but hopefully if you've played 41, you can we follow don't worry along about this, with, is,
0: this is, this is, this a podcast. We don't worry about what people know. Uh, we just good. talk about what we know.
1: So, yeah. So the concessions were interesting. So the, the player who bought the, bought the Ursif, got the Ursif concession also got the purple Tuscany. Um, concession. So the Tuscany major, um, and and then um, I had the tan concession, the yellow, the Cuneo, and then there's another player running the the blue concession. Um, so the the interesting card was that yeah, it was one player had the Ursif and the purple. So the intent was that's I'm a pretty
0: to... odd start. Well, well the only intent... players don't let that happen. But
1: well, the intent. Well, the problem is is that the that Tuscany area is just really hard to run well like and it's just kind of crappy in comparison to just buying like an early share of the ursif or the blue or something and, and playing investor to an extent
0: mm-hmm.
1: but so and the, but if you're going to buy tuscany purple tends to be the one like one that people like to run um just because you can i think because it kind of has that west gen um genoa west channel that you can potentially build it can actually like have a token and if you buy that purple tuscany you're going to be the one running um the uh merged tuscany probably company yeah probably um but that was out of play in that sense now because obviously the um that player wasn't going to gonna start it, they're gonna run the Ursif. And getting that purple out means now, oh, maybe they'll get to run their twos a couple times. And since the Ursif runs for the most out of any of the companies in the early game, great, that's perfect. What does he care that the purple doesn't run? So there's it was a five player game. So the last two players each just bought one of the Tuscan miners. And what happened in that setup was the, the first round was kind of average for what you would expect coming out of just like every, all those companies floated except for the purple Tuscany and shares were bought up. Um, I think people and people had the, uh, uh, it. people had some money going in, like the two people running the miners, obviously had a lot of money left going into the end of the stock round and we run a normal round we hit the threes so which is interesting because talking to um so it was like jonathan anderson was one of the players running it and he said yeah i really wanted those miners out because i part of his plan was i need to make sure that the we get to the three train at the end of the first set because what happened in the second stock round is the two people running the tuscan miners they both floated companies and so in So I don't know if you remember the map layout of 41, but like once the threes hit, there's that there's um, six spots that are north of Italy. Well, there's the five spots north of Italy. And then there to the west of Italy, there's Genoa. Yeah. And technically you could start in Livorna in in, um, Italy, but that's like 200 bucks of tokens in a crappy place. So no one really does that. Um, and it's also not uncommon for the, if there was a purple player running to um, take that, take that spot w- with a token, because mm-hmm. then they can get a double track lay the next turn. And yeah, but so it was, which so they floated these companies and SR2 just in that five square spot at 144. So they ran ahead of all the other companies. And so they run. They build track, and they, have, they, they basically token four out of those five spots on the east side. This makes an awkward situation because, all right, so the Ursif runs. Um, and, you know, they run, they, they pay a crap ton, they sell down, they, they start a company. Well, four out of five spots on the east side are taken. They all have track laid. Normally, the Ursif starts a company there because the number one thing usually you do with a company there is, well, besides fleecing capital and stuff, because you make money and that's how you get money out to buy trains in 41, Um, that's where you go to get your merger with SB to save, like, because I think a common strat is you buy three Ursif, you end up dumping the Milano company, you run the SB company, you merge it with the shell that you make. Um... But now you can't start companies. You can, but yeah, it's, you're paying 200 bucks for tokens. So you're usually expecting to have $580 in that company to start. And now, or 580, it's more like 500 or 630 because the tokens are 25 bucks. But now, yeah, he's only got like, you're losing 200 bucks on the, 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 the possibility instead of 50. So he actually instead grumble, grumble, grumbles a lot. And then floats in Genoa, which is the spot where, you know, like the blue person who sells down wants to start because that's like really much closer. Um, And so that was the thing. And then, so he starts in Genoa. I ended up not floating because I, I had tan and yellow. So at the very least I could, if I needed to get to a point where I would have a better company to raise capital, I could at least merge the tan and the yellow because they were very quickly becoming connected um so i ended up dodging and then um the player wanting the blue is just like i don't want to pay two hundred dollars for a token in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and ends up not not um floating um i think i think he sold down and then didn't float and then ended up waiting for the um, four trains to hit. So it just delayed. So who ended up winning this? Um, It was uh, Jonathan Anderson won that game. He had a very clever because we had a slowdown because it was a very different way things rolled out. So things kind of we got to the five trains and everybody just kind of paused because I think. Because basically we were in disagreement: who needed to buy the five and who actually needed to push the game state. Yeah. The answer ended up being I needed to buy that additional five and push the <laughs> game.
0: So oh my God! You had an opportunity to buy a train and you didn't, Talbot. How could you? How well, could you? because
1: you know, in forty-one, the trains tend to just be things that you buy and go away and never run, and then you got to buy the next one. Yeah. So that even puts a pause in me at times. Um, and and I think this is,
0: the, this this game illustrates. Like one of the things I love about 18XX in general is like track are normally fairly benign like you know you're laying track out far away and no one's near it and it's fairly benign but in this case it changed the entire character of that game because all of a sudden tokens weren't there's no $25 tokens available it's all $200 tokens yep yeah and that was that was a thing yeah. um so um let's uh did, how did you do in the tournament did you Eh, it was like in the m- very middle. I think so. One of the keys is um, to doing well in the tournament is not to play with the Portland guys. I feel like, <laughs> the, Seattle
1: like guys, yeah. Yeah, the Seattle guys. Yeah, the Seattle guys. Yeah, if you
0: don't you don't play with Jonathan Anderson and Chris Rowan, those guys. You're and which I think I only played. Well, I played one game with each one of those guys, and and so I was able to win some games, and and those got counted towards my score. So. <laughs> Whereas. Yeah. So. um, All right. So let's let's move on to 28. Mm -hmm. Um, 28 is uh, J.C. Lawrence's game. For those of you that are living under a rock, um, J.C. actually lives in the the bay. He lives somewhere down in the south. I rarely see him. Talbot sees him more often Mm -hmm. than I do. Um, And uh, J.C. is a force of nature on the forums and uh, the slacks um and so you know uh if you don't know who jc is go out there you can read any one of his treaties on any one of a number of games um but he's put together uh 1828 which is uh, a very interesting game i've only played it twice um it definitely has a. if you read it how jc plays games this kind of reflects how JC (laughs) wants a game to be played. Um, you buy a lot of trains, you burn through a lot of trains. Um, you try to make it so some trains never run. Um, and, uh, at the end of the game, um, like money is raining down for upon high, if you've done things right. Um, so, uh, I don't want to go through an exhaustive explanation of the game, but um, why don't you just kind of hit some of the highlights, like some of the things that make it unique, like it's got a very unique initial private auction, uh, um, you know, with uh, a lot of uh, of different stuff. So why don't you go through some of the highlights for so us yeah. I, I mean, the private auction is definitely interesting in
1: terms of it's just taking that waterfall auction in 1830 that people love or hate and just kind of doubling down on it. And I actually think it makes it more interesting because there's a little... I think the waterfall auction, as far as I can tell, and I'm definitely not an expert on it, and I just haven't... I have not invested enough brain power in games and stuff and figuring out, like, how to play a lot of different positions or what positions are even good and and stuff because I think most of my, my thoughts are more, like, a little bit more tactical on how much money do people have and how much money do I have? And how does that convert to privates and shares? And, and a lot of times I care about like, Oh, does this $5 that I'm bidding more
0: make me lose a share. But, um, because there's, which just to pause a minute. So I think Talbot's analysis, Talbot wins a good number of games. So, so Talbot's analysis of if I'm buying this private, does that preclude me from buying another share? That's a good strategy. I mean, that that's something that sure. I think people don't always learn is mm-hmm. like they're looking at the value of the private as what it does for them, not what does it not allow them to do if they yeah. get it, you know? So anyway, go on.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing, a big thing, though, is to always remember in the private auction is who's going to get priority? Um, because that, that is definitely like a big deal in a lot of these games because at least especially in 1830, it's great to have priority coming out of the opening auction. So if you can definitely like whatever you can do to get your player to your right to buy the B&O to start 1830, that's great. You can now like you have kind of like the board to choose where what company you want to start and how you want to play it out. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Is that so, a big factor in 28 as well? It's
1: It feels harder to control. I would say JC definitely has a he can he can definitely see like where it's going after after some where people initially bid what's going to happen Um, this game i would hope he could yeah but like but i I do notice like in some games that have like really small waterfall auctions it kind of is a little it feels to me at least a little bit degenerate just because there's just no room to place more bids Mm -hmm. to like kind of buy yourself the time to adjust like incentives for where people want to go um, but anyways, the the private auction in this game, like just the the expanded roster of privates, and the actually and the and the other nice thing is they're actually usable because since the game's base is kind of like thirty, but now there's a bigger map and there's more more privates, there's more interesting things like the for instance like the Coburg and Petersburg Railway, which is like a company. It's basically a minor company kind of for you know in, in the 46 vein that's just a private company that runs like a little minor railway operation that you build for it so it, it works interesting because you build from its um token and then you run a two train pretending like you have an imaginary token in the tr- in the track that you just laid so so you can totally run. So in the beginning you end up running these routes out and there's like a, a couple popular openings of how to run for like,
0: yeah, it's in the, in the northern part of the map yep. and, and, um, you, you know, you can combine it with some yep. other the, and then
1: adding, and then also adding like the Erie and Kalamazoo railroad, which adds like this double dit that you get to control and, like double dits are kind of a big deal in 1830. They're also kind of a big deal here because there's only one of each. So if you don't get the the configuration that you want, it's really bad and the eek lets you control that because then you can deny a configuration from somewhere that you know like someone wants this configuration to go here and you can conveniently put it there. And maybe if you're running a company that helps you, Maybe maybe it doesn't and you don't care and you just have it there and that's great. Um, But but in general, like even the Mohawk and Hudson, you can change it for any share instead of just an NYC. And that actually makes it sometimes viable because in this game, there's like the concept of systems. And so systems are basically a merger between two companies. And in this game it's a very lossy proposition at face value because what happens is um, when you decide that you want to merge two companies and it's at a high level it's like either two companies that haven't operated yet or two companies that have already operated previously can merge in a stock in a stock round into a system and you take the price of the it's been a while I, i could get this rule wrong but it's the price of the leftmost Um, company and then you add half um, the price of the the most expensive company of the two and it could be the leftmost token and then you go up that leftmost column to find the price rounded down and that's like your merger price. That normally means you lose there already like let's you know like 25% of your merger value or something like that let's say something like that. Then not only that, you know, you trade your two for one. Some people, you know, if you have an odd share, you have an option to buy or sell. Um, but then after that, you the president has to have at least thirty percent because they have to donate one of their shares to the uh, the company.
0: And never get it back, yeah, it never comes out, it never comes out, that. so a share goes into the company, which is great because it'll have token money and track lane money for the, yep. the till the end of the game <clears throat> um and if you do it early enough, maybe even partial train money, who knows yep, but you've you you just i mean at minimum you're losing eighteen percent of the value of your shares'cause sometimes you know you know
1: <laughs> i mean yeah you're I mean you're losing that quarter that that quarter edge. Yeah. Whatever that quarter edge ends up being percentage watch plus, then you're just donating a share. You're yeah. donating, essentially, two of the company I previously into your system, which will make it stronger. So, it at face value feels like a bad deal, and it kind of is. Except, it gives you so much control because one it means you essentially now have a company that runs back to back on itself. Yeah.
0: So so for those of you who don't and have never played with systems before the the system is going to be two companies inside a shell. And those two companies can move trains willy-nilly. And mm-hmm. so if you're feeling like you need to buy a train but you don't have enough money, you can simply move the trains into one of the two companies and then the other company is forced buying a train. Yep. And yes, you're paying for it out of pocket, but you're probably going to make that money back if you do it right. You're going to make the money yeah. back more and and then some. So and and having that
1: power to be able to just force buy a train when you want is really powerful because the train roster. Um, well, there's two train ranks in particular that are obvious or end up obviously being really good. The first one is the threes, of which there are nine threes in the game, which is a, a lot. strange number. But is a really fun number, and threes there aren't are, many twos, though, right? Like you got, there are six twos. Yeah, it's so normal you burn through
0: the twos pretty damn fast. You're right into the threes, mm, not exactly,
1: because the problem is, is it has that six-player eighteen thirty feel in which you're all, most of the time you're only getting one or two companies out because with the private auction, as long as everybody's playing reasonably, everybody, and you should, you should at least end up with one, what we call a B and O company. That's another MacGuffin in the game. So it has there are players plus one B&O company in the game. And there's eight different companies that are defined as these B&O companies for lack of better terminology um, from 1830. Um, And so they are $250 privates instead of like the $200 that they are, that it is with the B&O in 1830. But you get 30% of the company and you get $40 in revenue. And so early game, that's kind of like your best source of income. And and the fact that you get 30% of the company means in the second stock round, if you see something shiny, you sell it and you buy whatever the shiny thing is that you want. And so it gives you that little bit of extra liquidity and it's just... It's interesting because it feels like a stagnant position for one turn, but then you you flip that share in, you got the 40 bucks, now you're buying like, you might even buy like two shares because if you have a few bucks laying around, now you can, oh, I can almost start a company or maybe I want to help someone else start their company because I don't want them to make 40 bucks around. I want them to have that little gag for a round. And yeah. then I develop my forty bucks, and then the next turn I have a little bit more income coming
0: in. Yeah, and so, and and that, and I, I do think that's one of the great things about this game is like it kind of you feel like oh my god when the hell am I ever going to start these companies? And then the second stock round is like a catapult. You're just like launching, yep. like out of there. So anyway, you're you're talking about the trains and how there's sort of two ranks of trains. You've got the ton of threes, and then the next one is going to be what? The
1: fives. The fives are meh. They they will serve their purpose to the people who buy them. But the big big deals in this game are the three plus Ds. So that's kind of like... It's almost like you get to the three plus Ds, that's also a very good gauge to uh, who's doing well in the game or not. So there's six three plus Ds, and the three plus Ds is... They run three cities and un- or three cities are offboards, and an unlimited number of dits. So dits don't count against or essentially the dits don't count against the three of the three plus D. Not only that, you take that value and you double it. So whatever you run for with that three plus train, you double it, and you're on average making um, it's like some routes around here. You can you could probably get up to. F- High thirties, or the f- I think you can get up to forty. I have not played in a while to just like look at the map and remember remember that. But routes out of like Chicago going through the coal, you can get
0: for the middle game. It's a fantastic amount of
1: money. It is, especially when they're only th- so. For let's let's compare like threes, which I said are pretty good. They're one sixty. The three plus Ds are three hundred and fifty dollars. They are super cheap, um, especially because it's like threes are one sixty. The fives are two fifty, and the problem with fives too is that. You want to buy all the threes and therefore, oh, all the threes are gone. I guess I got to buy a five, except the game hasn't progressed long enough for you to actually build a a friggin' five route. So you're, you're just going to feel bad that you're running this 5 as like a 3 or a 4 or something like that and don't have the things that you want set up and you didn't get a 3. But the 3 plus D's they they can run all the same stuff as the 3's even better because now they can skip the dits that were probably in the way of some of the 3's and then they're doubling their value. So the crux of the game, in, or one of the cruxes is, I should say, there's a lot of traps and there's a lot of ways to shoot yourself in the face because this game is so large Um, is who's going to own three plus Ds, what and where and how and why? And so a big reason to own a system is now, it almost doesn't matter what your train, what trains you have on you, It is likely you will just shuffle trains over and be like, "Okay, I don't care what happens. I'm going to buy this three plus D." And even if you had to like spend some money or cash or whatever out of pocket or whatever, it's probably going to be worth it. Like you're just going to make hand over fist your money back. You're going to make your company healthier because now the company is going to get at least ten percent of that back. And like,
0: it's it's the crux. uh, One of the things I think that this game does, and again, I've only got like two plays in on it. One of them was early prototype. Is it like? It's In some games, you're like, who has to buy the train? Who, like, you look around, like, which one of us fools who's not winning has to buy the train? Like, whose job is it to make the trains move? This game kind of shines a spotlight on that player. It's like... Count the number of 3 plus Ds. If you have less, you better kill the 3 plus Ds because yep. those things are going to pay so much money you cannot afford to be behind the curve. Yep. And and if you let it go on for two OR sets, you, you might as well
1: just... Yeah, two ORs. Them. Like, yeah. if... The three plus Ds are playing more than two ORs. Usually if they pay three times, usually the person who ran the most th- who's getting the most from the three plus Ds is gonna win. Yeah. Um the two seems to be the average from the games I've played. So if you're if, if you're running two, it's recoverable. And one, I've seen it run zero one one time, and that oh, was I'm fun.
0: Mad, but that would have been interesting. <laughs>
1: but because and, 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 and it's what's interesting is it's not like the game doesn't actually give you tools for making You be able to just rush through trains. Like one of the biggest things to, one of the biggest things in the game, and this is, I think, kind of a good early rule of thumb. And there's probably exceptions, but whatever. There's always, I feel like in XX, there's always a way to find an an exception to what people think is a rule of thumb. But in this game, the sixty-seven dollar par price is the floor of the stock chart. The stock chart's very vertical. So there's like 67, 71, 79. Your B and O's, you want to start at 79. You want to get the most value out of them. But if you float any companies in the future, unless you're at the very end of the game and you need that capital because you're going to buy a diesel or an 80 or whatever right now, one end game train, you float at 67. Don't float at 71, 79, 86, 94, 105. Don't just, you probably don't want to mess with those. You just want to float at 67 and it's safe because then – and then there's this thing that JC talks about is float storming, which I think he's mentioned on several forums and stuff of because 67, there's no penalty for like selling down like shares late. You can just – all right, I'm going to – 67, I floated this company. Okay, I'm going to sell four shares now. I'm going to start floating this other company. Inevitably, you do that, someone else is going to be, hey, that company is near my company and maybe they can help each other out and maybe I can – do a system or they can lay this thing or oh it's 670 bucks in capital for 67 times 3 so a and maybe even
0: times 2 if the player dumps it on the, on the, yeah on the or second. times 2 so yeah.
1: they'll buy 3 and then you dump it and then you don't and since you, and even though you sold previously, you're still getting the 67 back. So now you have another six shares. Oh, I'm going to sell that too. And if I still and depending on how much money you have extra, you can kind of use that as a vehicle to really speed up the game because people because you're just incentivizing. Hey, for 200 200 dollars or 180 dollars or or 130 dollars or whatever, um, two or three shares at 67, you get 670 bucks in capital. Isn't that great? yeah that's great (laughs) yeah yeah but then the person running the three plus d's maybe maybe that's like the round the three plus d's just came out and someone, maybe the person some person got three or four he's like but wait this 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 is not good like if everybody has their their money lined up properly and sets up that type of storming it is definitely possible to just hit the diesels before those three plus d's run and now Yeah, they were great, but they didn't run at all. So now I didn't really make my money back. And even if they ran once, like, they're a $350 train. You're probably running on average in the 30s, let's say. I'd say you're only making your money back, and that's not that great. Yeah. So, like, there's... And that's the. I think that's the nice thing about this game is that it's done a great job in terms of... There's a lot of viable strategies i feel like in the game and it's all just really dependent on how people set it up because i've seen people win not setting up a system because they were able to just i have the right money in the right place and i don't even care that i that i i need to force buy something because i'm either already forced i already engineered the force buy by myself or i just i just started a new company in the right place i shuffle the trains over i can just buy yeah, and that is perfectly viable and can be really strong if people don't do a good job of setting up their systems. Yeah, um, I've heard about suitcasing strategies, which I haven't really seen work in from the limited times I've seen people actually try it because going up the stock chart is just too strong, and there's not yeah. quite it's definitely the
0: same- a stock appreciation game. You want to factor in yeah. moving up and into the. You know
1: and if gray stay in gray for a long time they which that's the other the, the other special thing being that gray zone which has like what you can own up to 100% of a company in the gray zone and you can if you're the president you can buy two shares instead of one if I'm improper I'm trying to It's been a while since I remember the rule, but you can,
0: yeah, yeah. So if you if you go up to on BGG and look at some of the pictures, you know, the sixty seven, there's there's three start locations in the in the yellow, and then they add more, but they're kind of in a diagonal line. And sixty seven's on a cliff, so that's what Talbot's talking about. You start a company at sixty seven, doesn't matter if you sell shares, it's still going to be sixty seven because it's on a cliff. So and it's a great way to push the game. Yeah. All right, so uh, I think we just heard the doorbell for our first player. Yeah. So, um, Chris, time, Mr. Talbot. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. Me. We'll do it again um, sometime maybe. And we'll definitely, you know, definitely have you back on. Sure. Listen to the jungle, the rumble and the roar as she glides along the woodland, through the hills and by the shore. Hear the mighty rush of the engine, hear that lonesome hobo squall. Traveling through the jungles on that war cannonball. <speaking in Spanish>